Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. Oh, I feel good. I knew that. If you're a leader with managers reporting to you, I want to ask you a few questions to ask yourself. Does your leadership team work seamlessly together? Are they focused and organized? Do they function well or fight each other? Do they communicate effectively or are they cloaked with confusion? Do they make decisions efficiently and effectively? Are they hiring, training, and keeping the best talent? If someone leaves, do you have an A player waiting on the bench? Well, if you can't answer yes to all of the above, then perhaps I can help you and your team. I help leadership teams work together harmoniously and achieve greater business results. If you want a, a free assessment and a discussion, just email me, steve at managermojo.com. Tell me you'd like to, to chat for a little bit and we'll schedule a call. Thank you. That's steve at managermojo.com. Welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and I'm thrilled to introduce my special guest today. My special guest is Cassandra Frangos. Uh, she is the author of Crack the C-Suite Code, How Successful Leaders Make It to the Top. Now in addition to being an author, Cassandra is a consultant at Spencer Stewart. Uh, she's focused on working with Fortune 500 leadership teams. Uh, on executive assessments, succession planning, leadership development, and overall team effectiveness. Uh, she has been called the Executive Whisperer by Diversity Magazine and has contributed to Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Fortune, and many, many others. I am thrilled to introduce Cassandra to our audience. Welcome, Cassandra, to the Manager Mojo Show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's my pleasure, and I look forward to sharing uh, this uh, great book with our audience. Uh, but before we get started, why don't you share with our listeners what fun thing that you've been up to lately outside of work? I have been uh, decorating my new condominium in Boston, and I love interior design. I'm not good enough to actually do it as a profession, but I really like it as a hobby. Well, that's wonderful, and congratulations on your new Thank condo. You. That's Thank wonderful. you. That's wonderful. Always yeah, a fun it thing. Overlooks, yeah, it overlooks the water, so it's really been my dream so oh that's awesome uh boston yeah. is such a beautiful city been there many many times and yeah uh, always love going uh to the the birthplace uh really of our country that's where yeah. the descent started and i absolutely yep. love love going there mm -hmm. 
Cassandra, uh, let's transition to this book, uh, Crack the C-Suites Code. Uh, Code. I absolutely loved reading it. Uh, I like the way that uh, your brain works and that you organize it in a really logical manner that I know is going to help people today. And first, why don't we just set the stage? Uh, what do you mean by the C-Suite Code? Why don't you explain that first and then we'll dive into specifics. Sure. Um, so my former role, I was head of talent at Cisco, and uh, I was part of doing the succession work for John Chambers, and then in turn the C-suite for the new CEO. And all the high potential leaders used to say, "Well, how do you get to the C-suite? What you know? What does it take? And what's the code, so to speak?" They were all, you know, a lot of them system engineers or um, IT specialists. So cracking the code was sort of an interesting way for them to ask me. <laughs> uh, so I kind of picked up on it and said, "All right, well, let me break this down for them because they're dying to know." Um, and then as I talked to uh, customers and executives more broadly um, about their own careers, they were all just dying to know how do other C-suite executives make it there. Um, so it really was inspired by that, and then I started to just lay out what are the different paths and what are the different ways people get there. Well, uh, you did a phenomenal job of doing it, and I, I uh, because I do work with leaders all over the world, I absolutely get it. People are always curious, how can I get to that C-suite? And yeah. I know you did an awful lot of research to back up what you did, but why don't you share with people what was the most common misperception that you came across in your research? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people think it's magical. You know, it just happens <laughs> that you get to the C-suite or they there's do. one path, you know, that gets you there. They think there's a certain formula. Um, and as you know, it's very much... Um, situational, it depends, you know, you hate giving the answer, it depends, and there's different <laughs> paths, you know, um, but it's true, <laughs> uh, and so I think people, you know, have this um, misconception that there really is one path, and there really is just one answer, and if they stay on one path, they'll absolutely get there, and there's no guarantees in life anyway, so why would there be a guarantee to get to the C-suite? Well, uh, well said, and I, I, I really like the way you describe that. However, in your book, I want to point out to our listeners uh, that uh, Cassandra actually identifies four core paths that we can reach that uh, C-suite uh, office. And uh, she called them the tenured executive, the free agent, the leapfrog leader, and the founder. And uh, these, are, I think, I found them to be very, very helpful in terms of giving people an idea very specifically that there were many different ways to reach the C-suite. Which one of those four do you find, and maybe you wanna just talk about each one first. Why don't we just start with that? The tenured sure. executive first. Talk about what yeah, that is. Yeah, happy to. Yeah, and I start with tenured executive because it is, it is pretty common and easy to understand. Um, where we join a company we love, we grow up there and actually keep getting promoted, um, which is how the Cisco CEO actually got there, where uh, grew up through sales and eventually got promoted um, to CEO. And many other executives that I call out in the book that really do have this chapter in their lives where they do go through the different promotions and actually just really work their way to the top. Um, I love the stories where it's, you know, somebody who started out in the front line and then became an executive. Uh, Sherman Williams, CEO, is like that, where really understands what the different uh, jobs are in the company and has probably done them all, so actually knows how to succeed as a tenured executive. 
Um, so that's that's one path. Let, let me just comment on that because I, I know that people, uh, we don't see as much of it today as we did 20 years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. But the tenured executive, in, in my opinion, is probably the one where people get the most frustrating uh, yeah. because they give their whole life uh, to a particular company and then they get passed over and they're, uh, you know, understandably disappointed because they never really knew what happened. Is, is that mm-hmm. been your experience as well? Absolutely. And it happened all the time uh, in some coaching relationships I would have with different executives who they got passed over from somebody external or, you know, they really were just a hair off um, in terms of their experience from another person who ended up getting the job. Uh, So it can, it really can be frustrating. And, you know, I do talk about that um, this is the track that actually requires a lot of patience, uh, which is not a strength of uh, some type A people, uh, myself included. So uh, it, it definitely <laughs> doesn't describe me. Uh, I, I, I figure uh, God just passed me over whenever you gave out patience, and I've had to learn <laughs> it over the years, but uh, I totally get it. And yeah. it, I think you did a phenomenal uh, job in the book of explaining that. Let's go to the second one, the free agent. What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah, so it's a good follow-on from tenured uh, executive where it is the story of you reach a certain point in your career at the company you're at, and then you decide, you know what, I'm a free agent, and I'm actually going to take a job at a new company where I am at the top slot. So, for example, um, one of the executives I call out um, who was former Cisco or is currently Cisco was former GE, and she reached a point where, you know, she really did reach um, high levels in the organization but really had a dream to be CFO. It was sort of her calling and it was something she really wanted. Um, So change companies to get to the top slot. Uh, So that's, that's often what a free agent will do. Or another example would be the reached a point at a big company, um, Pfizer as an example, I highlight an executive who came from Pfizer where just really did lots of interesting jobs across Pfizer, but realized probably not going to get to the C-suite there and then decided to leave and become a CEO of a smaller company that was private equity backed. Um, Again, he really just found it so um, inspiring to join this company where he could run it, um, he could take all of the experiences that he got in a bigger company um, and utilize that to get to the top. Now, I, I hope that uh, you listeners out there are really paying attention to that because we're in an, uh, an era where we're experiencing incredibly low unemployment, lots of competition for talent. And if you are not aware of your team members that really have these desires, hey, don't be surprised when you look up and they're going somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That's happens. Right. Absolutely Absolutely. Happens. Yeah, and knowing their motivation. I mean, I've seen many great leaders where they know that their direct reports really want to be a C-suite executive, and they know they won't probably make it at the company they're at. Um, if you could also be insightful to that person and say, well, here's some experiences you could get while you're here, and then here's some experiences you might need to get from the outside. I mean, it's just such a healthy conversation when somebody leaves, when it's completely expected as well. Cassandra, um, isn't it wonderful that somebody would have that conversation with you? Yeah, At least it yeah. meant that they cared about what happened to you in your life. That's uh, right. Instead of uh, being cold and I don't really care. I mean, right. there's too yeah. many of those in the world, isn't it? 
That's right. I mean, if you're if you're in leadership, you know, the greatest reward is seeing your people succeed. So if you can say, uh, you know, I've actually developed uh, 12 CEOs across different industries and companies, that's great. Um, because you won't have 12 CEOs at your big company. Exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. it. I love it. All right, let's talk about the leapfrog leader. I yeah, like playing so, leapfrog. I, it reminded yeah. me when I was a little boy, and I, I hadn't played leapfrog in a long time. I don't think I got yeah. much leap left, but let, let, let's talk about what it means. You probably do, but anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's an emerging trend in uh, succession where um, I started to look at this when we did the Cisco uh, CEO succession, where it was a study that BCG did. It was uh, a look at what um, CEO succession has looked like in the last few years. And then as I followed it um, along the way, where it really is somebody who leapfrogs a level. So for example, the Cisco CEO, and then there's a few, that, few other CEO examples that I outline in the book, um, had a layer above them. So they got promoted um, beyond their boss, as, as one way to look at it, mm-hmm. um, and really uh, just leapfrogged because of their potential, not necessarily that they checked all the boxes in terms of experience, but they showed so much potential and could take the company into a forward direction um, and really had um, the backing of the board and also um, their peers. So it's, it has to be something where there is a lot of followership and there is a lot of potential that could be seen when you do skip over a level. Because the logical choice would be, well, let's go to a direct report of the CEO, but actually you're going to a direct report of the direct report. I, I think that's wonderful. And uh, I, I couldn't help but when I read the book, uh, I couldn't help but think about this in terms of uh, the young millennials that enter the workplace mm-hmm. today because so many of them, they don't want to skip one level. They want to skip them all. Uh, <laughs> That's I've, been right. here, I've been here for three weeks now. I should be CEO, and uh, they <laughs> don't mind telling you that. So, <laughs> you know, you, you've really, uh, with this leapfrog, leapfrog leaders, uh, you know, we used to call those 20 years ago the, the extremely high potentials. Yep. And uh, I, I don't know uh, if anybody uses that term anymore, but uh, the reality is uh, you better be a really good evaluator of talent uh, mm-hmm. before you're going to get this kind of opportunity. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. Yeah, the millennial uh, point rings true. I I had a meeting um, with a millennial, and they said, I hear that you work on – um, development and placement of C-suite executives, um, you know, and they're really early in their career. I said, yes, I do. Uh, what do you hope to do? Uh, and they said, well, the next job, I'd love it to be in the C-suite. Okay. They're, you know, 20-something. Right. Um, and that would be great, but they might have a few more steps. Well, it, it's, uh, and, and that's why I think it's so important to understand these different paths, because when you do have people uh, like a millennial that wants to get there before they've got uh, the experience they need, uh, if you can really break this down in a way that millennials can understand and say, look, here's, I understand your ambition, I get that, uh, ambition's a good thing, 
but you also have to have knowledge and experience and you're not going to get those uh, by uh, by jumping around you've got to go through these stages mm -hmm. and help people yeah. understand what those stages are is that a fair statement Cassandra absolutely you know and I would say um, even more high level as well is you know just now being part of a search firm I, I watch what um, some search executives will look for as they're placing even top C-suite executives. And if somebody has jumped around too much, um, it causes them pause or, or raises a lot of questions. Um, and then chances are the, the people who are hiring on the other side at the companies are really questioning as well. Why did you put a person in front of us that has jumped jobs every two years? There has mm -hmm. to be good explanation and a good story um, behind that. And then with any C-suite job, there's always a layout of what's the future potential look like uh, for this position and for the person. So there always are um, a layout of experiences that are needed. Um, you don't have to have them all the check marks, but there does have to be some critical experiences that someone has had. And then what are some of their skills and capabilities um, that they have. But then there's also that potential piece that we've been talking about. So what, what potential do they show? Mm -hmm. um, because you can overlook some of the experiences if they show a lot of potential as well. Absolutely. And you, you know, you brought up a point that I want to just make a comment on. You talked about being part of a search firm. And to my millennial listeners out there, I want you to understand something. Uh, now, Cassandra knows this, but I, you need to know that when you jump around uh, too much, sure, you're going to get a lot of questions about it. But what you don't really understand is that when companies are looking for those C-suite uh, players, it is an expensive proposition for them to go out there and actually look for that talent. I mean, they spend a lot of money looking for just the right fit to put in those jobs. And they are naturally going to be a little concerned when they see somebody that just pops around all the time. And I keep, I keep hearing so-called experts out there that advise these millennials, you know, don't stay anywhere more than 18 months, you know, go on and get all this different experience. And I'm like, they don't learn that way. Mm-hmm. That's right. So yeah, be careful. You, yeah. Yeah, and you do, I mean, John Chambers was always great at this where, you know, as we started to rotate different leaders to get them ready for different big jobs, you know, he would say, well, it takes six months to learn the environment and, you know, what's the different complexities of the business, and then it takes another six months to really, you know, get moving, and then another year to actually see some traction in the results, and then see your change agenda all the way through. Um, so he would say minimum three years um, right. in a job. Right, and, it, and, and that's more important than ever if you're trying to go to the C-suite uh, for a yep. position. Uh, you've got to show some stability there. And mm -hmm. I, I just don't think people think very, uh, very much about it because today uh, they've gone away from that. As a matter of fact, you mentioned the six month. Uh, people, not a lot of companies do it today, but I think more would be uh, advised to consider uh, what uh, companies used to do, and that was to put people on a 180-day, a six-month tentative plan to determine if they did fit their culture. Yeah. Uh, th that used to be quite common. It's not as common today. 
No, I think because also everybody's impatient as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's sort of, well, can't you have results in two months? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but it's funny because actually um, I've been doing some research lately of executives that last under two years. Um, and that's for multiple reasons. You could see, well, it actually wasn't a culture fit on both sides. Um, so it could be something that you yourself realized even three months in, ooh, I'm really not a good fit for this culture. Yep. Um, or vice versa, where they say, you know, I'm not sure that this style actually works for us. Um, so you can have, you know, one or at the most two of those where it quite is quite normal um, at the top where there could be just some other or the company reorganized and you didn't even see that coming and they didn't even see it coming or there was a merger and acquisition scenario or major transformation as most companies are going through at the moment. So sometimes there's unforeseen circumstances or things that you wish you would have learned um, as you were evaluating the company or they learned as they were evaluating you. Very good point. Let's move on to the fourth path and you called it the founder. Uh, Talk a little bit about that. So this was my favorite group uh, of executives to interview, I have to say, uh, because this was an executive where they reached a certain point in a company. So I looked at founders or entrepreneurs who had bigger company experience, so not the serial entrepreneur, if you will. It was really somebody who had gained a certain level of experience, and then they um, really wanted to start their own company. So a few that I um, interviewed where they just had this idea, it was just always waking them up at night where they said, I really want to pursue this idea. I really think it's a great business. Um, And one former Google executive um, that I spoke with, she just had this idea that she just felt like her life would be incomplete if she didn't actually pursue it um, and started her own company and it's been wildly successful. Entrepreneur stories don't always end in a success story, but um, (laughs) I tried to study the ones that actually did and, you know, they just thanked their company experience for making their ability to start a new business even more successful. Well, it, it's a, a great path if you're cut out for it. And, yes. Uh, yeah. and it, it, let, let me, uh, <laughs> I'll bet you found this out uh, as well, but I just want to throw it out there. Um, there are uh, there are some people that say, well, I'm going to go found my own company uh, so I can uh, really control my own schedule. Have you ever heard that before? Yes. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I, the reason I'm laughing, listeners, is because uh, that's the biggest joke there is. When you found yeah. a company, you no longer have your own life. It, yeah. it consumes you until you get it to a point of viability. And yeah. uh, viability means profitable, sustainability, you got revenue, you got, uh, you've got things under control. It, it, it's a thrilling ride, but unless you're really the kind of person that loves uh, to dive into the, to, uh, the specifics and that much risk, uh, it may not be your cup of tea, just telling you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. And many of the entrepreneurs that I interviewed said they really also needed some financial backing uh, from, you know, either their prior uh, work or their spouse or something to give them um, the ability because they knew they'd be working all the time uh, and they wouldn't be making money for a while. So it does create um, a bit of tension. So you have to make sure you really love it and you really want to do it. 
Absolutely. Uh, This is one that I can really relate to real well. I walked out of a a very large uh, corporation, but I was prepared Mm -hmm. uh, financially to do it. And uh, uh, it it was the kind of thing where I I definitely I had a wife and a small child at that time when I formed my first company. But I got to tell you, my schedule, it was it was a joke. I mean, I was working anywhere from uh, 90 to 110 hours a week. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the story of founders. you got to have a lot of people on on, uh, your team in order to make that work. So I I don't recommend it for everybody, but I love the way you approached it in the book because you went through those very real scenarios that have to to be considered. So that's four different paths that we've talked about. Uh, The tenured executive, the free agent, the leapfrog leader, and the founder. Now, you may find yourself, listener, in one of these categories. I don't know. But uh, Cassandra can absolutely help you understand what the challenges are. I want to point out something, Cassandra, that, uh, and just give you a compliment. One of the things in the book that I found incredibly helpful is with each one of these uh, leaders or types of paths that we were talking about, at the end of that chapter, you came up with uh, a list of accelerators, and then you mm-hmm. called it derailers, uh, things that would throw you off track. Now, I, I thought that was very helpful. Would you mind sharing, uh, just kind of share what that is for our listeners and what made you decide to include that in this book? Yeah, you know, it's it's something I wanted to include because it's themes that you hear over and over again as you look at different successful executives. And someone always had um, things that they did in their career that made them accelerate or even, you know, leapfrog uh, in their own career. You know, things like, you know, taking on um, an assignment nobody else wanted or, you know, looking at the white space and creating a brand of your own um, to make some contribution to the company or, you know, really looking out for the greater good of the company, not just uh, focused on your own particular small entity of the business. Um, so there's different things that are relevant for different paths um, as you think about accelerating your career. And then derailers um, is also based on some research that Hogan Assessments have done where they really looked at patterns of executives and why they failed. Um, and then I've also looked at different executives and, and looked at why they had failed. And you know, I would say the number one reason why people um, derail, I think, to get to the top is they actually have too big of an ego. Mm. Uh, And many are surprised by that as a common derailer because they think, well, you need to be confident um, as a C-suite executive, but if you're too confident or, you know, your ego is too big to fit in the room, uh, (laughs) you know, chances are people don't want to work with you or follow you. (laughs) Uh, That's a great, great point. And uh, I just remind our listeners, if you want to know the the, uh, the personal story I had of how crappy I was when I started. Uh, go read Manager Mojo. You'll see how I failed trying to figure out that very <laughs> thing. Uh, Cassandra, I know that uh, people are going to want to know more about your great work. Why don't you share how they can connect with you and learn more about what you do? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm always on LinkedIn, so you can connect with me there, or I have my email on LinkedIn, or you can just message me through LinkedIn, and I'm also on Twitter, but um, I most, uh, most answer the LinkedIn messages, but I post different uh, articles on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Awesome. 
Uh, and l listeners, for those of you that are exercising right now, we'll try to include a direct link to uh, Cassandra's LinkedIn profile to allow you a chance to connect with her. Uh, I'll also include a link directly for you to go buy the book. You should buy the book, Crack the C-Suite Code, even if you're in the C-Suite now because you need to know what your team is thinking. And uh, I found this to be a very, very helpful uh, guide, if you will, to help understand the different thoughts that different members on your team would have. Uh, I highly recommend this, uh, Cassandra, and I, I really appreciate you uh, sharing your gifts and talents and research and putting this together. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it, and I hope uh, other people find it useful. I'm sure they will. And uh, before we go, I want to ask you one other question. And because here at Manager Mojo, we're all about taking actions. And uh, based on your experience, what would be your top two recommendations that you would uh, give to people who are considering uh, really shooting for that C-suite? What would be your top two recommendations or action items that they go take right away? Yeah, I would say first do a real honest self-assessment of even do you want to be in the C-suite because it doesn't come with um, faint-hearted. Uh, it's, it's definitely a lot of work and it's um, a lot of responsibility, a lot of pressure. So do a real honest assessment of do you really want to get to the top? Um, and then if you do, figure out what is the next few chapters of your career look like in order to get there. All right. That's awesome, Cassandra. Uh, thank you so very much uh, for being with us today. My guest is Cassandra Frangos. She's the author of Crack the C-Suite Code, How Successful Leaders Make It to the Top. Cassandra, we wish you nothing but continued success in the future. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you.